Welcome to the One Track Mind podcast. I'm your host, John Miller, and this episode is brought to you by Socket Roll, the ultimate in portable socket storage. The Socket Roll is a patented, durable, fluid resistant, portable socket storage solution that keeps your sockets organized and accessible. Great for the home garage, workshop, at the track, or even on the boat. The Socket Roll is available online at socketroll.com. In this episode, my guest is professional singer, Cirque du Soleil performer, and vocal phenom, Denise Stephanie. For anyone interested in the inner workings of show business from a performer's perspective, this is your episode. Denise has done it all. She's performed on stage with Broadway musicals, multiple international touring Cirque du Soleil productions, and of course, as a singer in her solo career. She's scored major motion pictures, produced and performed in live events, been a spokesperson, a voiceover artist, a model, actress, and writer. Denise talks about what it was like to grow up with a singular goal from a very young age and the experience of chasing that one big break that can launch a career into superstardom. She tells me about nearly getting that big break more than once. One of the craziest stories is about how she pitched the original idea for the show Hannah Montana and then had that idea stolen but was then invited back to audition for her own stolen project. It's, it's a crazy story. You've got to listen to her tell it. If you want to hear some of her music, there's a song at the end of the episode, or you can find her on iTunes and YouTube under Denise Stephanie, Stephanie with an F. Make sure to subscribe so that you don't miss any episodes. If you're an Apple user, leave us a five-star rating and a quick review on iTunes. It really helps us grow our audience. Also, follow us on Instagram for photos of guests and show previews at one track mind show. Enjoy the episode. So this might be the beginning of the end for this podcast. <laughs> I thought you were talking about our marriage. Well, that's that could be the beginning of that end too. Oh no. Well, what can I say? Um, not very many men get to interrogate I mean interview their wives. <laughs> <laughs> Tell uh, the listening audience who you are. Oh, boy. Okay. Well, I am Denise Stephanie, now Miller. <laughs> I am John's wife. My wife. My wife. <laughs> <laughs> the Borat voice was the whole reason I wanted you to do this uh, episode, just so uh. I could say that. <laughs> Lovely. So you are Denise Stephanie. Yes. As your professional name. Yep. Professional singer for your entire life. Yeah. That's all you've ever done. Mm -hmm. And you started pretty young, right? Very young. Singing. I started to sing before I can even remember. Uh, the first time I sang in front of a large audience was when I was five. I sang the national anthem for a minor league baseball game um, in Lake Elsinore. And... Uh, and that's it. I started from there. My first professional job was a touring musical where I played young Selena in the Broadway. Well, we were headed to Broadway. <laughs> musical Selena Forever. How and old were you? I was 11. How yeah. did that, that come about at 11 years old? How do you stumble into a... a well, I had an agent um, and that came out of just singing literally everywhere. I was singing, um, singing on the beach. Singing at school, yeah. singing in, in public. I mean... Every function, my mom, oh my gosh, my mom, <laughs> she would have me sing literally in the barbershop. I remember we went and my dad was getting a haircut and it was like, 
oh, my daughter sings. Here, sing. Sing a song. And I was always like, ugh, big, epic eye roll. And I was just, I had no choice. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I love to sing, but it was like I was singing everywhere. Um, and, you know, it, it was actually a good thing because that led to me actually getting my first agent. We were We were camping out at the beach and around the campfire and I was singing and then the motorhome next to us um, heard me singing and they were like, oh my gosh, my son is an agent for blah, blah, blah agency um, and we'll get you in contact. And that's how I got my first agent. But the thing is that agency specialized in dancers and guess what? I'm not a dancer. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. So they're seeing like this like little Shirley Temple nine-year-old wannabe yeah. singer dancer is i mean that that's what they saw or they were thinking you were or you wanted no, no, to be no no the thing is they wanted to help and so then that's just the only way they knew um and their son was also super super nice and he's like well to be honest i don't get a whole lot of auditions for singers it's basically just for dancers but let me see what i can do and mm. i went on a handful of auditions maybe half a dozen to a dozen of auditions that were just so painfully painful <laughs> to experience as a kid because, because I they, show, were, they were having you dance yes and these kids i mean you've seen i don't know if you've seen any of those episodes of like the dance moms and like these kids are really really freaking good and <laughs> i had some dancing experience but when you put like no like you can't and it was really ugh. It was horrible. I so, think about it, it was just painful. Uh, but this is still, you're 10 years old? Yeah, about 10 or nine. 11? No, nine, I was 10? like nine, nine to 10. You know, I, I auditioned probably for eight to nine. Uh, no, I'd say till nine, 10, 11 is when I got the job. So three years, um, two to three years. Did you start to learn how to dance? Did you want to dance? No, it, it turned into like... this like, absolute. I hate this. I hate my life. I hate doing this, but... What I would always do is I would dance and I would dance like crap because these other kids were like five, six, seven, eight, boom, 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 like hitting all these marks. And I was like turning left when they're going right, like really bad. And then at the end, I was like, look, I'm not a dancer, but I'm going to sing. And I would just sing and I would like sing and belt out a Whitney Houston song. And they'd be like, oh, whoa, whoa, I'm sorry. This is like right. you're, you're in the, the wrong, wrong room. <laughs> <laughs> so eventually did you get pointed in the right direction uh, no not really um but this agent did come across this open casting call for a new musical that was being done and i didn't know what it was they didn't even know what it was they just said prepare to sing uh somewhere over the rainbow and i was like oh, i got this song i know it okay um and i was really excited because it was for the first time something i was like yeah I, I've got this. I, I know what I'm doing. Um, and so I show up and it was really weird. There was not very many people. It was on like a Saturday, which is really rare for an audition. And at the time we lived in Hemet and Hemet is like three hours away from, from Hollywood. And I was, we were driving every audition. So um, making, I mean, this is a, that's a full day. Oh yeah. For one potential, for, for like one audition a day. Yeah. You would get or, or torture session, however you want to look at it. Right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, and at the time, I was admitted at the local community college. I was studying music. So my days were very busy. At 11 years old. No, I was eight when at I got eight years old. Yeah. 
That's so right. That's another funny story. Uh, long story short, I sang, I got into the class, and then I made the local newspaper. And that story got picked up by the LA Times. Uh-huh. And then um, my mom and my dad got a voicemail on our <laughs> voice, uh, what's it called? Answering machine. Answering machine. Yeah. Thank you. <clears throat> and it was for a producer for a show called The Tonight Show. And they wanted to have me on there. My parents were like, what is that? That sounds horrible. No, we can't have our little girl on The Tonight Show. Oh, no. <laughs> and they thought it was like something like a Tonight Show, you know? Like, like scandalous. Not scandalous, like... not for kids. Oh, no. And they... <laughs> so they turned it down. The thing is, <sighs> my parents always um, did absolutely the best they could and more. And they, they're immigrants and they came here... 30, 30 years ago. So they didn't know. They didn't grow up with. Yeah. Yeah. There's kind of yeah. culturally. Absolutely. Uh, so so did, at what point did you? I didn't even know about the story until years later. And I was like. Sure. <gasps> what? <laughs> like, what? What did you do? I was like, <laughs> I blame you. <laughs> so so they, they must have realized at some point pretty soon after. Yeah. Uh, the oops. But Yeah. Okay, so you're you're eight years old. You're in a community college music course. Mm-hmm. You're kind of you know getting yourself on the map, whether you know it or not. And, yeah. and now you've got this audition for this uh, the Selena Forever musical, which mm-hmm. um, was slated to go to Broadway. What what happened with that? Oh, budget like everything else. <laughs> That's where racing and music collide, huh? Yeah. It's like, oh yeah, I get it. Um, yeah, we actually toured for six months. But so, so you, you, I mean, you got the gig. Oh yeah, I got the gig, and it was really cool because it was an open open casting call. So they auditioned all over the country, and they had five finalists, and I ended up being one of them. And they flew my mom and I out to Miami for the finalist for the final audition, and it was actually on TV. And for anybody that's Hispanic or Latin, it was recorded and played on the Christina show. Christina is like the Hispanic Oprah. <laughs> oh yeah. So yeah. And so um Wait, was was that was she the one who had the show? Didn't she like date Senna? No, 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 no. That's somebody else. Okay. No, you're thinking of uh and I can't remember her name. The beautiful blonde. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Okay, yeah. never no, mind. No, no. Who am so, I thinking of? She she was I in can't the, remember her name. She but... was in the the uh the Senate documentary. Yeah. And so I think she she was like a kid's artist. Um, you're going to Google this. Aren't yeah, you? I am. Perfect. I am. You keep, keep telling the story. My sister and I loved her growing up anyway. You're going to say her name and I'm going to be like, ah, yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> yeah. So we toured all of Texas and then we went to Chicago and then we had a tour break. And I remember we came out to L.A. and I performed for um, Fiesta Broadway. It's a big music festival out here in, in LA. I mean, there were thousands, maybe hundreds of thousands of people just, they had lots of different stages. Shusha. Shusha. Yeah, 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 yeah. That was her name. Mm-hmm. Thank okay. you. <laughs> <laughs> My mom's going to be like smacking me. How do you not remember that? Anyway, um, I got off the stage after performing my songs, like promoting the show. And the promoter was like, so we've been canceled. (laughs) And I was just like telling everybody, hey, come see us. Yeah. 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 And so 
the highs and lows. Oh my goodness, they are rough in this business. Yeah, and no racing. kidding. But that had to be. I mean, that was the first kind of big professional. It was, gig yeah. Where and you then, you toured. I mean, where you you got this taste or this um, this look at what life as a professional musician, professional singer was was all about. I yeah. mean, th- and this is at eleven years old. And so, so what did that, I mean, do you have any memory from that time of thinking I want to keep doing this? Oh, absolutely. No, I knew that man, even before. So I was, I don't know, in elementary school when I did my first musical and I remember being like, yep, this is it. Yep. On stage. I know it. Yeah. There was no doubt, no doubt whatsoever. Yeah. Other kids had stage fright and I was like. The funny thing is I consider myself pretty shy in person, but on stage it's like, so maybe I am a Gemini. Like when people say, you know, like split personalities and I'm like, no, I think I'm pretty like mellow most of the time. Mm-hmm. Yep. And unless you have like a screaming toddler in your ear and then that's something different. Yeah. That changes things. <laughs> changes anybody. Oh boy. Gotcha. So, so, okay. So what's, what's the next step then? So, I mean, you know, normally when, when we're talking about careers and, and decisions and, you know, there's school, there's college, there's a progression, but kind of like motorsports, you know, um, the music industry, there's no real logical progression or logical path. Um, there's no, you know, obvious next step all the time and, and, you know, careers can kind of soar and then fizzle or, you know, people can kind of turn along their entire lives and never become famous, but still make a good living at what they do. Um, that, that kind of thing. So where, I guess it, you know, you're still a kid, Mm -hmm. you know, what was, what was the next step? What, what was, where'd you go from there? So for me at that age, it was all very black and white. It was either you were Celine Dion or you were nobody. And so I was like, this is it. And I put everything I had into it. And actually my family did too. Um, my brothers, my brother and sister were left often alone. Well, not totally alone, but (laughs) (laughs) my mom would go on tour with me, you know, and it's gotta be really tough. And I remember thinking like, man, I'm lucky, but I don't really remember thinking, wow, you know, this is pretty incredible. Right. Right. And so, so, you know, your mom went on tour with you. What was the next tour you did? Was that Cirque? So yeah, I Cirque. Um, so after Selena, I ended up singing jazz. Um, I started to sing at different jazz festivals and then I recorded a jazz album. Um, that was my first real album that I did. So, so talk about that. I mean, that, that was kind of a personal project. I mean, self-funded, self-organized. Kind of. Um, at one point I was invited. So I was opening a lot of shows. I was singing the national anthem and like random songs to open at, at different casinos, which is really weird when you're a kid, but man, I was hustling. I was working. (laughs) And one of those artists, um, actually was, um, Jay Leno. Um, opening for Jay Leno. Leno? Yeah. For one of his comedy shows. Um, Singing. Yeah. Singing. And these are paid gigs. Uh, I don't remember. Probably not. Yeah. (laughs) Probably not. I was singing the national anthem for like, um, King of the cage and all of these like, crazy like like, like pre-mma yes <laughs> oh my god before it was cool yeah i did it all um so one of the artists i 
I opened for was a man named Herb Jeffries. And this man, I sang for him backstage first. And then I sang, I opened the show for him. Um, and then during the show, he has me come up on stage. And you, and sang, I'm, you sang jazz? Yes. For- no, no, no. I was new to jazz. So I don't even remember what songs I sang before the show. <clears throat> but he brings me up on stage during the show. And he's like, do you know summertime? And I was like, like the season? <laughs> he's like, mm. So he's like, okay, I'm going to sing it. And then you just repeat after me. And so he sang it. And then I would, you know, do it after him thinking I was like Christina Aguilera, you know, before <laughs> Christina Aguilera existed. But anyway, did I just date myself? Oh, God. We can edit that out. Don't worry about it. <laughs> um. <clears throat> Anyway, so that was the start of jazz. And this guy became my mentor. And he was my teacher. He was my manager. He was everything. And so, and this man, Herb Jeffries, was the first. So he had a couple of different titles. He was an actor and a singer. He was one of Duke Ellington's first singers. And um, he did a lot of cowboy movies and like he was known as like the black buccaneer but he's not black or he wasn't black he was italian but he had this like curly hair and dark skin and so he was playing these characters on t- oh, that's how, how messed up it is you know like <laughs> yeah that would never never fly today <laughs> yeah that's crazy and so he had quite a big following um mm. and he had some amazing stories so he was married to um Gosh, now Google her too. Tempest Storm. Oh my gosh. If you get a chance. Tempest Storm? Yes. Sounds like like Stormy Daniels. Okay, no, 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 no. (laughs) (laughs) Kind of, of the time, yeah. Google her. Holy cow. This man was married to her. Okay, Tempest Storm. Now you need to describe her. Or maybe I should. Fiery red hair, boobs out to who knows where. And (laughs) the tiniest little waist. But this man was married to her. And he would talk about these stories of like... Um, who was coming over to his house? It was Judy Garland was coming over to his house and all these amazing stories. So he lived out in Palm Springs. Is she, is she, okay, this is from her Wikipedia. She's Tempest Storm, born Annie Blanche Banks. It was her real name, born in 1928. She was dubbed the queen of exotic dancers. Mm-hmm. She's a burlesque star and uh, an actress. Wow. Yeah, this yeah, and man the picture had- of her of there is like, yeah, like you said, fiery red hair with this huge like purple sash, like <laughs> crazy dress. Yeah, holy moly, <laughs> queen of exotic dancers. I mean that. Mm-hmm. That says it all. Yeah, but the the stories, this man. I mean, I of course got like the rated G stories, <laughs> the version of the stories. Yeah. But he he was the one that turned me on to jazz and so I started to perform everywhere and became kind of well known I guess in that world I was doing a lot of jazz festivals and um selling the albums and playing on the radio and um I guess there weren't a whole lot of like 12 year olds singing jazz (laughs) so you stood out is what you're saying I guess yeah Yeah. I remember one time did did, did you met this Tempest Storm woman too? Uh, no. no. No, I think oh. they, they were divorced. And he had a different wife, this woman named Savannah. And my goodness, she was such a sweetheart. Okay. Ton, like 40 years younger than him. But yeah, he was still so sharp. Hmm. Anyway, I How rem- old was he when, when you met and started working with him? 80 something, maybe 88. Oh, wow. Yeah, he was older. He didn't pass away until... 
It's a couple of years ago, right? Yeah, not that long ago. He got his star in the Hollywood Walk of Fame and whole deal. <laughs> that was cool. Um, so I remember we were at this festival, Sweet and Hot Festival here in LAX. Um, it's a big jazz festival. And I had just performed. And then I went in the elevator right after. And this other singer was there. And she looked at me, looked me up and down. And she was like, you know, take advantage that you're so young and cute, you know. <laughs> enjoy it while it lasts sort of deal and i was like dang oh, <laughs> somebody was bitter but she was right yeah. <laughs> <laughs> she was right damn it <laughs> ay, ay, ay. no comment on that anyway um so at one point Cirque du Soleil was looking for a singer and um, my agent I don't know if he sent the, the album or they got a hold of the album. The, the jazz album. You the, did. the jazz album. And, the, and this jazz album, just to pause real quick, this, yeah. this is something you did with Herb Jeffries? Or is, is this how he found you? Like, no, he helped. He, he helped with the jazz put album? Put it together, yeah. Oh, wow. My parents, okay. like financially, my parents did it. Um, but he was the one that was leading kind of the orchestra. Oh, wow. So to speak. And actually, if you listen to the album, he and I did a duet of Summertime. Which is, it's on iTunes, it's right? On, I think it's on iTunes, yeah. Should be. Denise yeah. Stephanie on iTunes. Go check it out. It's Buy a just... lot of copies. We got <laughs> we have a baby to feed. <laughs> that album is just Denise. Oh, just Denise. Just okay, Denise. we got to get it linked Denise. to Denise Stephanie. Yeah, we do. Yeah. <clears throat> What's the album called? Denise. Denise by Denise. Yes. Unique, huh? <laughs> I ran out all of ideas. <laughs> all right. Um. Yeah, so Cirque was looking for a singer. Um, and the funny thing is, the singer they were looking to replace um, or to, yeah, to replace looked identical to me. So I'm sure for them it was like, hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So they they sent me the VHS of the, the show named Kidam. And I was like, oh, this is so creepy and dark. I love it. <laughs> <laughs> and, and this uh, is a Franco Dragon yes, production? Yeah. So talk, talk about him for a little bit and kind of the the style of show that it was and and there's a pretty good story around the audition for that too yeah yeah so the show is just so beautifully dark it's kind of like an alice in wonderland type of story but it's it's very dark and especially when you know what each character means and all that stuff yeah it's i mean there there's shows that you know i i had seen cirque shows prior to, to meeting you, mm-hmm. but you know, obviously we've seen a ton of them together now. And, you know, I've got a really good feel for what the, the Cirque catalog, so to speak, <laughs> is, is about. I mean, because the, the, the shows are you know, very different depending on who wrote them, who directed them, what, um, you know, what audience or what market they're, they're in, you know, uh, or, or they're targeted for, uh, whether they're touring shows that go all over the place or whether they are a resident show, that, that stays in one place like like the shows in Vegas or um, you know, they all have a, this kind of different look and feel. But but for me, the, the one thing that always tied all these really incredible, you know, physical acts together, you know, because it, it's, it's this overwhelming, um, you know, uh, visual onslaught of people doing amazing things with their bodies, amazing trapeze artists, um, these very risky, breathtaking acts um, mm-hmm. But it's all set to this incredible music, yeah. um, and so the, the visuals and the costumes are a big part of it. But but the sound and the music and the fact that it's all played and right. and sung 
live yep yeah. um is is such a uh, a captivating um emotionally responsive part of what what makes these shows so special i i think as somebody who's just purely a spectator and yeah. who doesn't i mean i'm completely tone deaf and and you know the worst <laughs> person in the world to be a judge of, of music other than i know what i like and and uh th- these shows are pretty incredible but um but this these franco dragon cirque shows have almost their own cult following within the cirque world Is that fair to say yeah kind of um, and you've worked on a couple of them Mm, let's or think no Kida- just one Kidam is the one so okay. O I'm, a lot of people have seen O that's one of his shows and it's yeah. very similar in some ways isn't Alegria uh, yes actually yeah yeah you're right absolutely <laughs> <laughs> look who's the circ expert here dang <laughs> <laughs> yeah um, but O and Kidam are very similar in that they're very dark mm-hmm. even like the way they're lit the stage is very dark itself. Um, and Allegri is different to that for sure. And, and the music is kind of dark and, and emotional. I mean, does that... It's very eerie. Um, yeah. Yeah, it's kind of like creepy, uh, nightmare before Christmas kind of sound. Um, but it was it was a really cool show to sing. It was kind of frustrating because at that point I had been singing a lot of jazz and had been classically trained and had, you know... I was doing a lot of impersonations of singers like Whitney Houston and Celine Dion. And then all of a sudden it was like, I had a sound like a little girl, you know? And so what that means is like, I was doing a lot of straight tone, which is if you take out the vibrato, it's, that's what it sounds like. Um, and so that kind of became tough, tough to, to want to keep doing. Hmm. Cause it wasn't challenging. It was, uh, or... it was challenging in different ways. I guess that's what made it challenging. Hmm. Um, but I, I was a, a little kid that just wanted to be like belting and doing riffs left and right. And <laughs> it was like, tone it down, tone it down. You're a little girl. Okay. Yeah. But that was the start of my, um, career with Cirque. Where did you tour? How long did you tour with them? What was that, that first tour like? And you're now what? 13, 13 14 yeah, years old? 13, 14. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, so the first tour was North America. We did mostly east coast cities in a big top tent in a big top tent yeah so that was super new for me i remember so when you first get hired for cirque um you go to their headquarters which is like this beautiful impressive building in montreal canada and you're there for about well i was there for about two months and you know you learn the character learn the songs um, they do everything to prepare you there. And then once you're ready, they send you off. And I wasn't prepared <laughs> to see a big top. I was like, what, what? <laughs> this is a real circus. Tent. Yes. It felt like, oh my gosh, no way. This is really just because Cause the, you're, you're preparing in a normal studio. I mean, oh yeah. And like yeah. the caliper of, of, of just everything was, you know, I was expecting this, like, I don't know, like amphitheater, you know? <laughs> It was just impressive just how everything was put together in the studio and all of that. And so then when I show up, it was like, whoa, a big top <laughs> a tent yeah, and a big one, but still a tent. Nonetheless, um, I was used to theaters or whatever. But the moment you step inside, you're like, oh, there it is. You know, it's like an impressive stage and and everything inside of it is equally as impressive. Yeah, so we toured North America and then for a year. 
And then from there, the show went on to Japan and I signed on for half, half a tour. So I did six or seven months in Japan. In Japan. Yeah. Yep. What was that like? Oh my gosh. I loved it. I miss it. <laughs> yeah. Touring Japan was the most epic thing I think ever. <laughs> <laughs> and so, so when you talk about touring, I mean, you're, so you're in a big top, there's, a, there's two different ways to tour with, with Cirque du Soleil if you're in a touring show, right? There was yeah. big top and now there's and... so many different ways, but yeah, right. traditionally it's like, no, when I first started, it was only like big top or resident show like uh, Vegas. there was no arena tour there back weren't then. arena tours okay. there are now there are arena tours and there's even there like different kinds of arena tours sure. but, but a big top tour i guess i what i'm asking is i mean you're touring but when people think about touring musicians or, or like a touring show i mean what was that touring experience like so the big top tours are how many, how many people were on it i mean just paint, paint the picture for right. us so Usually we were right next to either a big stadium or arena or something like a big venue of that, that kind, um, just because they have big parking lots and that's where they set up camp in a parking lot, literally in a parking lot. Um, and it's one giant tent and then a smaller tent, which is the artistic tent. And that's where everybody's, you know, training, warming up, doing makeup, costumes, all that stuff. And it's attached. And then... Outside of that, there's lots of like offices. I mean, total, we were about 200 people touring. Um, and artists, we were maybe 50. So that just gives you an idea of how many people wow. it takes to get this thing to go. I mean, there's lots of, of technicians. There are people in the kitchen, full-time people in the kitchen that constantly t- toured with us. Um, you know, HR, the, you know, tour services, we had everything. So it's a little city really is what it felt like. And on that tour, actually, it was like a family. We were super, super close knit. And I'm, I'm thankful. And I think that's why I've kept working for Cirque because of that first experience I had that was just so positive. It was such a great experience. Oh, and they paid my mom to take care of me, which my mom was probably thinking like, sweet. (laughs) (laughs) To your guardian. Yeah. 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 So, um, no. And so, so you're in these places now, you know, you're touring, how long are you there? A week, two weeks, uh, four About weeks? six weeks minimum. So that's, I mean, that's pretty nice. Yeah, you get a in chance. In a way. Well, nice if you're in a good city. It's torture if you're in a bad city. And because you're traveling, you don't have a car. And this was way before Ubers. So, um, or even really cell phones. <laughs> <laughs> no like early cell phones but this is like 2002 2003 um so um i remember we were the tour that was opening new markets quote Mm. unquote which was it meant we were getting all the crappy cities not the major cities (laughs) no we did do miami and we did do boston and those cities were great and um i don't know i don't think Cirque shows had been there before, so I think those were new markets. So technically, too. opening new markets, but, yeah. but ma- major market, major metropolitan markets, fun places to go. Right, and then we ended up the, in cities like Charlotte. But the thing is, we were out in the boonies, where literally there was not even like a grocery store close by, hmm. and then people had no idea what Cirque du Soleil was, 
And I remember we were at a hair salon and the woman's like, you're not from here. And then we're like, no, can you tell? <laughs> she's like, what are you all doing here? And then so we said we were with Cirque du Soleil and she's like, oh, I saw that, that circus tent where you all keep your animals. And I was like, oh, God, <laughs> we are in the wrong place. <laughs> sure. I mean, Cirque circ is it's. It's a circus, but yeah, I mean, yeah. if you're expecting a real circus, it's... Uh, Especially you know. with that show. I feel like that's such a kind of a deep and artistic show. Yeah. It's not really um, like what you would expect from a circus, you know, where you'd want to take your kids and stuff to, you know? Yeah. So you, you, mean, you mean to tell me you weren't selling out crowds? Oh, gosh. We canceled a the... week of shows. Oh, wow. Yeah. That was a rough rough and so what happens then you guys just get a week off or you yeah. move on to the next city no we got a week off oh wow yeah which was not great <laughs> <laughs> yeah um but okay so so the argument can be made hey this this was not super successful but it at least introduced Cirque du Soleil to this area which was kind of the point oh so absolutely. That maybe next time a show comes through Atlanta or Charlotte or this area of the country people won't think hey where y'all keep your animals it'll be like hey I had a friend who saw this, or maybe they'd be open to yes. the idea of what a Cirque du Soleil show is all about. Is and the it? funny thing is when I've spoken to friends that have worked on other Cirque, Cirque shows that have gone to Charlotte, they're like, oh my gosh, we would sell out. And I'm like, <laughs> like, yeah, thanks to us. <laughs> yeah. 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 But it was so, cool. so the NASCAR crowd does like Cirque du Soleil. So we were actually right next to what at the time was Lowe's um, Speedway. Yeah. Charlotte Motor Speedway. Yeah. yeah. Um, and during the show, we could hear (laughs) so much so that the clowns actually incorporated it into their act. (laughs) That's awesome. Yeah. I mean, it was, I mean, impossible to ignore. So they had to work with it. That's pretty awesome. Yeah. (laughs) That was my first time riding in a race car too. So the Speedway had us over and we got a chance to do like the this experience or whatever that's the, called. like the Richard Petty yeah, like, driver riding a race car. Yeah. That was very nice. cool. Yeah. And now yeah. you can't escape race cars. No, They're everywhere. No. <laughs> <laughs> Little did you know. I know, huh? <laughs> All right. So you go from, from touring the U S to, uh, air, air quotes here, opening new markets mm-hmm. in, uh, in your first tour of Cirque du Soleil to, you know, now you've signed on to, to tour Japan. I mean, talk about, complete 360 oh in terms gosh. of cu- yes. cultural differences or i mean what had were people in japan um had they been exposed to cirque du soleil were they oh, yeah. fans oh my gosh were they yes. super fans we had super mega fans oh, yeah wow. like amazing so much that i remember it was my birthday and i was getting birthday gifts from fans and i was like what? How do they know? Who are these people? What? How do they know? It's and this so is crazy. this is like pre Facebook, pre YouTube, yes, pre, pre I mean, everything. Wow. Pre MySpace. I mean, this is it, it's pretty crazy. Um, yeah, we had some amazing fans, and every show we were getting flowers, and we were doing a lot of promotions with Fuji TV, which is one of the big sponsors for Cirque du Soleil that sets it up and continues to set it up. There's actually a show in Tokyo right now called Curious, um, but it's, we were doing tons of promotion on TV, and because I was the main character, and I guess kind of cute. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'll vouch for that. <laughs> like, I guess... 
things that are cute in Japan do well. Uh-huh. And so I was doing a ton of, of PR things and um, doing events with a group called Morning Musume, which is which was kind of like the Spice Girls. Um, oh, wow. Yeah. We were doing a lot of that. So what what cities in Japan did you go to? I mean, you were there for six months, you said? Yes. So where did you go? We were in, in Tokyo for about four months. Oh, wow. Yeah, that was a long run. And I'm not complaining. That wow, was awesome. Wow, that's a great city. Yeah. 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 And then from there, we, we went to Nagoya and then I left. Was it planned to be there for four months? Or was it Mm-mm. like, hey, we're, yeah, this yeah. is going well. We're continuing to sell out. Let's just stay and no, extend the No, it was planned. It was planned to oh, be wow. there that long. And actually, there were two Japan or Tokyo runs at the beginning of the tour and at the end. That's how oh, well wow. the show was doing. And we were sold out like every night. That's amazing. Yeah, 10 shows a week. It does really well. I remember um, like it's it's still doing well. Yeah. I have friends on the show now. Um, but when we were there, I remember we were walking into Tokyo Station, which is just, you know, this amazingly huge station and um, looked up and there was this poster <laughs> and this poster of my face and <laughs> this thing is huge and i actually was able to keep it i got a hold of the the fuji people and i was like what are you gonna do with the poster when it comes down they're like i don't know and i was like can i have it <laughs> so they sent it to me in a road case because this thing is probably like if we rolled it out in the house it would go from like one side of the house to the other i don't know what i'm gonna do with it but i have it lovely storage after the tour in Japan, you decide not to sign back on or some another opportunity comes up. Where where do you go from there? I mean, is it you decide do you decide, hey, I want to keep touring with Cirque, or do you still have this side of you that wants to be the Celine Dion, the Christina, yes, the, the solo career? I mean, yeah. that that was kind of there was the that original. Yeah, yeah, that I, I needed a scratch. <laughs> I had to keep going and I had to do my own thing. And yeah, so talk about the your pursuit uh in that realm and and what what that was like so after that i had a pretty deep sigh gosh yeah here come the the good stories we're like oh gosh um coming home from cirque du soleil which is the life that i knew for the last couple of years um it was a big adjustment to come back and try to identify with either being you know this kid kid actor or performer to also being a normal kid and I had been homeschooled and so I wanted to transition back into a regular high school at least for my last two years of school Um, and I found that transition to be really really difficult I couldn't make friends as easily as I thought the things I found interesting really weren't to everybody else and so I found myself oftentimes sitting alone at lunch and so I would go into my teacher's classrooms and i'd sit and eat lunch with them just because your your life experience at that point was so much different than a normal high school kid i i think so it was it was just difficult to connect um i didn't have the same hobbies i didn't have the same life experiences and at the time i didn't really realize that's what it was i just felt like uh, maybe even awkward um and i felt like conversation just was so much easier with my with my teachers and so I got to this really weird period where I was almost like you know teacher's pet in, in all of my peers eyes because I was closer to my teachers and my peers um, so at the time I was auditioning a ton and going back and forth to LA and um, the idea of writing a show came about because I was in this really weird situation 
Um, and so I talked to my, my agent about it and he was acting as my manager at the time. And he said, yeah, I think it's a great idea. So I started developing this show and, uh, we brought on a woman that worked for one of the big network, um, the TV networks and she helped, you know, structure it. But basically what it was, was it was my life. I was by day, you know, this regular kid in school and I kept to myself and I, it was just normal. Um, and by evening or night or whatever you want to call it, um, I was this, like my alter ego was this performer. And so in the show, I literally, literally would put on a wig and was like this <laughs> different character. And um, where did the inspiration to to write a show come from? I mean, since, you know, you, you'd done kind of musical theater on stage, you had been in Cirque du Soleil, you you'd been singing, but now this new medium of TV, how did you be, how did you kind of go in that direction? Well, at the time, because I was auditioning, I um, was put in contact with the lead guy at one of the main network stations or TV stations for kids, (laughs) not naming any names, but it's a a big one. And uh, I was working with him a ton and I was doing actual workshops with him. And he approached me and he would actually bring me on set to different shows that were filming at the time. And he's like, you know, I think you have something that's really special. I'd love to do something. So that seemed to me, of course, as an opportunity. Um, so we decided to take it. And that was when we um, put together this TV show. And I wrote the, you know, the lead song. And it was a show called Denise Cambiando. And what it was, was a show to try to... Um, incorporate my Hispanic background, you know, this Spanglish sort of deal, but also my real life and this alter ego of a singer and a regular kid. Um, so they invited me to pitch it and uh, we copyrighted the whole thing. We have everything. Um, so I walk in and it was kind of like those experiences where you see in movies where you walk in and it's like this big glass, you know, office and the big desk and there's tons of people sitting around there's nothing on the table. <laughs> and so I versus them. Uh, exactly. And I walked in with my agent and my manager and this woman that she came to help us from the, another, like a sister company of this network. Um, and so she was familiar with them and we all were, you know, friendly and uh, it was all put on me. And so I had to pitch the show. And we had a couple of, you know, ideas written for storylines and pilots and whatnot. Um, but it was definitely one of the most stressful experiences of my life. Anyway, um, what, what was that? What was the pitch like? I mean, we, do you have to go in and present the music that you'd written, the, the idea to the show? Yeah, it was kind of kind of like this, where I'm talking about a little bit about my life experiences, and then also saying where this idea came about and that in school nobody knew what I had done before I was this new kid at school with this secret background mm. and so that's where the idea came about and so I so you'd written a pilot episode yep, yep. And, we had oh, okay. like five okay and uh like special guests almost. yeah wow. we had the idea was to bring so we, on special guests and um, so it was somewhat developed at this point I mean oh, the, the idea was developed I mean least. I even had a logo <laughs> I mean, yeah, a lot of work and effort was put into this and um, presented it. And the hardest part is always waiting, especially for me. I'm not very patient. (laughs) (laughs) What? (laughs) So uh, I waited a week or two and then I called my agent. I said, hey, any news? And he's like, 
Um, all right. I'm not going to sugarcoat it because I know you can handle it. But <laughs> dot, dot, dot. It was one of the worst feedbacks I've ever received, even as an adult, like to this day. Um, it was brutally harsh. Um, it was like low blows. A lot of things were kind of like the only thing you have going for you or are because you, you know, you're bilingual or you're very green and, and all of these things may have been true, but I feel like in, in, in this situation, it was just kind of Un, like unnecessarily unex- mean, like unnecessarily mean and, and, and like not, not even productive criticism. No. And I feel like I was working with other professionals. We wouldn't have presented something that was, you know, garbage, but anyway, that's yeah, how so- I was left to feel. Um, which was really rough. You know, it's when you audition, you you do learn to put this, this armor up to try to, yeah, you you have to learn, I guess, learn how to accept a certain amount of rejection or, or, you know, keep your expectations in check, but Mm -hmm. to, to get feedback that, that borders on just mean, it was, it felt very personal. Um, Mm. so that was tough, but, um, I, you know, kept chugging along and then one day, not too, too long after, I receive my sides in the fax machine, which is the way I would. So, so that that was it, though. I mean, that like. Uh, yeah, that was it. It was so weird because crap we, feedback and then nothing, nothing, dead silence. And I had been, you know, fairly close contact with this executive at this network, and so I was just kind of blown away. Um, and we had talked to him about the project before, and he seemed very interested. And anyway, so months later maybe close to a year, maybe less, um, I receive sides in the fax machine, which is the way I would receive my my script for an audition to prepare. And so I'm reading it and I'm, um, you know, usually the content is not, <laughs> for kids shows especially, not super, super interesting. But this one, I'm reading it. Oh, I'm like, oh, that's so exciting. This lead character is a singer. You know, like, of course, if, if any acting job included singing I was totally on board um and as I'm reading down the sides I'm like wow this sounds really familiar oh my gosh and basically no not basically it it was the story I had presented to them and it came as such a shock I called my agent and I said hey have you read the sides and he said no Uh, I said, please take a look and so he sat down and started reading and I could hear him over the phone just saying oh my god and I said okay so what do we do and he said okay just go to the audition so I went to the audition and um, I ended up getting two callbacks um, which I was pretty surprised about and we thought hey I wonder if you know these the same people that that you no no same casting director same network same network different people involved though yes because the the casting director is not the same one that you would pitch to Sure. The people that I would pitch to are the ones, you know, the executive um, creator of content and, and all of these, right. uh, you know, talent development and all of these people. Anyway, um, so I I tell my agent when he tells me I get, you know, a second callback, we kind of speculate, hey, what do you think they're trying to do? Do you think they're trying to do this and keep the idea and maybe have you play? I don't know. Long story short, um, that show ends up becoming a very big show and uh it has brought um it made one of the (laughs) trying to figure out how to say this without giving 
too much away maybe um the lead character is the daughter of a <laughs> of a country singer oh my gosh if you're not getting this <laughs> or you didn't watch a certain kids network yeah uh, yeah 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 so um yeah so that was just it was it was tough it was tough to hear tough to see um in some ways it was kind of almost flattering like hey the idea wasn't totally terrible <laughs> but those are the type of experiences that I've learned in this career that happen so often and I guess I just didn't realize that they do um yeah so where to go from there um I ended up going to Pepperdine University and I studied music for a little bit and then I was asked to come back to another Cirque du Soleil show called Corteo. And that was uh, my first show back with Cirque du Soleil as an adult. And that was a, a very different experience than it was for me with Kidam, my first show. I was there for a brief period, um, and it was actually um, a difficult period for me. Um, this so was a, a, how old were you at this point? I was 18, 18 or 19. Okay, yeah. Um, and so... When I did leave that show, I was definitely ready to leave that show. Um, not necessarily because of the show, but just circumstances that happened there. Um, you want to talk about that? <laughs> no, no. Fair enough. No, that's for another time. Part two. Hashtag me too. <laughs> um, Copy that, enough said. Yeah. And so I left that and... About, oh, after that, I, I met you. Yeah, pretty so. soon after that. <laughs> so I met you. Um, well, on, uh, maybe, uh, what, that was a year or so after? About a year, yeah, yeah, about a year after. So the, that was your first kind of brush with uh, with the, the TV, not not reality TV, but uh, that was your first, first um, I guess, interaction with the, the TV world, right? But that, w- that wasn't your last interaction because there, there was another... Another show that came along later. Uh, yes. So I had auditioned for um, American Idol at one point, and it was something that I was kind of curious about, and I had never really been a fan of competitions. And anyway, I went ahead and did it, and I made it past that first round, and the first round is totally crazy it's not what you Wait, think you, you, the first round where you like sing in front of simon and no like... that's the thing it doesn't it's not at all what you think it's like um it's not what you see on tv so i auditioned up in san francisco and it's up in a we they had the audition in a huge arena and we were thousands of people i mean this is like a like 50 you, you 60, show 000? up you just signed up out of the blue yes and... And yeah, waited and in line with everybody else. With everybody else. And I waited in line for probably, I mean, definitely overnight. And it was so overnight? cold. Oh, yeah. It was July, but I didn't realize that San Francisco was so cold in July. <laughs> Holy cow. Yes. We went to Goodwill and bought like everything because we were freezing. <laughs> so you're literally standing outside on the sidewalk overnight in yeah. line for. Yeah. Oh. Yep. Wow. <sighs> How many yeah. people were there for that audition like probably 50 or 60,000. I mean, an oh absurd amount. Oh yes. So when they finally let us into the arena, we nearly was filled the, it. So this was early on in the American Idol like craziness. Mm-hmm. I mean, cuz that show ran for like 20 seasons or something, right? Yes. So let's see what year was this. It's probably in 2008-ish. Yeah, I think okay. 2000. So I auditioned in front of 
so what they do is they have you, they pair you up in fours and they have you go and stand in front of uh, a person on, on a desk and everybody is singing at the same time. So they have probably 20 desks. And so you can hear some people just belting and everyone turns and everyone's all in the same arena. So the acoustics are just, it's, it's overwhelming. Um, and they give you like 10 seconds. Go, go, go. Everybody's just Sing, so they're sing, making sing. snap judgments oh, yes. on whether oh, you've yeah. got the look, the feel, the sound right away. And and they don't care about names. I mean, they, they point at you and they say, you, 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 yes, you or no, you know, and it's it's oh, wow. very brutal. Um, I made it past that one. They had me sing privately to an, another uh, producer. On then, the same day? Like, mm-hmm. like yeah. they give you the same yes place, and then you yeah. have to go like right away and sing for somebody else? I didn't see anybody else? else doing that, but they did for me. Um and then about a month later, I went and auditioned again, another two times. Um, and again, it wasn't like what you see on TV. I still hadn't performed in front of Simon and Paula and all of them. Right. So, the, se- so the second time back, was it another one of these big cattle call? Not as line? much. It okay. was in how many, a hotel. How many, how many people? Like a thousand? <sighs> Less than. Oh, wow. Sure. Less okay. than. Yeah. So um, you're starting to get like the sense that, oh, wow, they're whittling it down. Mm-hmm. Maybe there's a chance. Yeah. And... I mean, of course you go into these things and you have to be positive. You got to believe in yourself. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And so I performed and, and I'm very tough on myself. I'm, uh, you know, my harshest critic. And when I finished it, I was really pleased. And that doesn't happen often, but I was like, yes, I nailed it. At least for me, you know, and that's sometimes all it takes. Um, and so I was pretty happy. I thought, you know, things are going to go well. And so they start asking me about um, my experience with Cirque. And it, they just focused on that and where I'd performed and how long I'd performed. And uh, at the end, they, they sighed and they looked at each other and they said, you know what? I, I don't think so. And it was, and I asked, hey, can I ask why? Is there something I can work on? And they were just like, no. And so I walked away and, and the impression I got was maybe they didn't like um, that I had been professional. You'd, yeah, you'd already had yeah. this this career. Okay. Yeah, and so that was kind of tough. <clears throat> so I after that I was like, no, I don't ever so, want to do in like yeah. a, a competition. It, it, there's they're looking for kind of the the every small town every girl story that they could spin to like. Yeah, they definitely like um, like dramatic stories. I remember before they interview you and they ask, you know, what has been the most difficult moment of your life, and you know, has the loss of anybody. Um, in your life impacted you and your decision to sing. And, and I've been very lucky and fortunate to have had a, a, a nice life. Like my parents are, you know, happy. My family is together. And yeah. And, uh, yeah. And so I didn't really have that. Yeah, And, you, and you've, you've worked hard and been through, you know, a lot of things in, in your career to get to that point. And so, yeah, maybe they were just looking for, for the, the, the person who didn't know any better or hadn't been through it all yet. And, right. and uh, that's interesting. Yeah. It's interesting that it they, was. you're almost overqualified. <laughs> I uh, don't know. But um, not long after that, um, I was doing a lot of TV and radio commercial work, um, which wasn't always like the most fun work, but it was fun in that I was busy in the studio doing what I love. And, and I bet like, I know what you, it's the same with you. Sometimes you, it doesn't matter what car you're in, but you're driving, so you do it, right? Sure, sure. So it was like that, and one of them was actually for a 7-Up commercial. And so I go in and I sing this 
cute little jingle called Sevenissima, and it was a lot of fun. And um, I finished recording it in the studio, and Gustavo Farias, and he was a good friend, and he would always have me come and do uh, commercials and all these things for him. Um, he said, hey, do you have any headshots? And I said, yeah, I actually just got some done. And so he's like, send them over. And so he sent them to the um, PR agency that was doing this 7-Up commercial. And the stars aligned, and they had been working on putting a package together for their client for 7-Up. And the, the photo I sent was actually a photo of me with like a flower in my, in my hair. And that was exactly the concept that they were putting together. Like they, <laughs> that's exactly. Lucky, lucky coincidence. Lucky there, coincidence. But... And so overnight they changed their, their deal. They put my photo in, in part of the presentation. And I didn't know this until the very next day that Gustavo calls me and he's like, guess what? You are the face of seven up. And I was like, whoa, whoa, whoa. How did this happen? <laughs> I just came into, you know, like hired, you know, studio musician. And so it was a, an amazing opportunity because it wasn't just the commercial, like the, the jingle. It was like a three minute song and they had me do a music video for it. And then they had me tour all through the U.S. and perform. And I was the face and the voice of Sevenissima. And Sevenissima was the I was the embodiment of the 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 character they they wanted to present with, you know, 7-Up of being fresh and bubbly and natural. And so it was a really fun campaign to do. And it was a, a Spanish language campaign? It was, yeah. So I did all of the, uh, and the commercial ran, ran for two years on um, Hispanic oh, wow. TV. Wow, residuals. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it was an awesome campaign. And that was my first experience as like a spokesperson for, um, for a company. And it was a really great experience because it taught me, you know, had an interview, even though this interview might suck. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> no, 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 no. It's good. We're, we're peeling back the, uh, the layers of the, the show business onion here. Yes. And, yeah. and crying a little bit in the process. Oh gosh, no kidding. Oh <laughs> uh, yes. Um, but it was really interesting because they even had me do this workshop where, um, they teach you how to interview and, what to say, what not to say. <laughs> <laughs> Should I take notes, right? Um, anyway, so yeah, it was a great learning experience. Um, and uh, after that, I went to Mexico and I was doing a lot of um, modeling, surprisingly. <laughs> but that, that was like a, that was a two year. It was a two year. With so you're, you're touring, you've got, you've, uh, recorded a, a song. Oh, we were recording an album. Oh, right. To go with it. So at the time we were recording, Gustavo Farias and I, um, we started to write furiously. We were just working in the studio nonstop to try to get this album out at the same time to, you know, get this momentum that, that we were getting with, with seven up. But so, a, a, not a, so the album was not with seven up. The album was some like Separate. a solo project between uh, or Gustavo. not between, but with, with you and Gustavo. Yes, but it, it had the as a, Seven Up song. Ah, uh, okay. Um, as uh, so one, this as was like as a single. So you were saying this is a way to kind of capitalize on the the FaceTime and the momentum that you had going yeah. and to kind of release a, um, yeah, a, because an album Sevenissima, under, under your name at the same time. Exactly. Sevenissima at the time was already playing on the radio. It was a super catchy song. Um, so we were like... And you're doing radio interviews, TV interviews. You're doing mm, appearances as part yeah. of this whole... 
uh, campaign with with Seven Up. Right. So, so then, your your face and name were getting out there. Yes, we were we were working. <laughs> so I was traveling every week to a new city, and the few days, two three days, I was home. We were in the studio. We were just writing and and recording, and we came up with the like a disco funk album. Um, it was half English, half Spanish, and it was just oh my gosh, we had the best musicians we had you know greg bissonette this this guy is ringo Starr's drummer we had you know you name it we had these musicians talk about gustavo for a second because he's a a pretty big figure in the latin american music market he is the music he's hilarious and he's as a person he's he's an amazing person lunatic (laughs) in the best way possible he's hilarious i love gustavo um and as a musician he's a genius he is and the funny thing is when you watch him work he's music is just effortless for him and i feel like that's the way music should be and uh, so i had a blast working with him Um, and he's worked with some of the the biggest names and yeah he has grammys grammy award-winning guy um bmi uh, he, he has it all. Um, he was um, Juan Gabriel's um, producer for over 20 years. And this guy, oh, if you wow. don't know who he is, he is basically the Elton John of the Hispanic market. If you're Hispanic, sp- Spanish-speaking person, you know who Juan Gabriel is and um, his music. So, yeah, Gustavo was a, a key component to to this man and his songs and his music. Um, and I've been so lucky to have Gustavo, um, in my life and as, you know, as a friend and as, as a mentor and working with him has been an amazing experience. I've learned a lot from him. Um, so we were working on this album and finishing it up and we were pitching it around going everywhere, all the, the top labels. Um, and at that point, um, we were approached by one of the labels and things were looking good, looking really good. Um, and for the first time, I had actually had a record contract in my hands. I had been promised one before a couple of times and, and this was finally happening. And so um, the one thing that we needed to work on was the fact that we wanted to own our songs. And Wasn't that how it works? I mean, you, you write and record the songs it's your yes, property uh, yep and you wanted to go under your publishing um so and, really quickly talk about how publishing music works i mean if you can like boil it down to a 30 second explanation <laughs> for people who don't understand the music business because I mean, oh when you i mean it's, it, is it a little bit like if you're a photographer if you take that picture you own the rights to that picture exactly indefinitely yep Yep. Unless you sign it over to somebody uh-huh. else, but but you would never do that unless they paid a lot of money. Exactly. Yeah, because that's what essentially it is your money maker, and and you have control over how it's used and when it's used, and it's separate from royalties. But it's you want to keep the, your songs. It's the creative property. I mean, yeah. it's yes. the yeah. yeah. And okay. so it, it was it was important for us and for Gustavo and and. So was was it a little out of. Uh, the ordinary for them to be seeking you know, ownership of I'm not entirely sure because I had never received an actual contract before <laughs> sure. in, like for a record deal so I wasn't sure but Gustavo had seen it before and um, I totally trust with um, his knowledge and so um, at the same time we started to hear that and this, so, th- so that w- but that was a big red flag that was a big red flag and it was something that we were trying to go and we were kind of going back and forth over um, and then at the same time, 
we'd heard that there was a, another artist that, on that same label that had already released an album and this album hadn't done so well. So they were looking to reinvent this, this artist. And so, um, word on the street <laughs> was they were eyeing my songs, um, and, uh, or mm. our songs, Gustavo and, and our, our music. And so, um, at that point we had to step away because what that meant was I was going to be shelved. And, uh, what that means is, you know, they, they sign an artist in order to get rid of them, you know, to clear the path or to use their music or hmm. because once they own it, they can, they can do, do whatever they, they want. want. Right. Yeah. And so again, that was just, it was, it was tough to recover from. Um, and we still have this amazing album and Gustavo and I, just recently spoke about it and we're we're talking about revisiting this album yeah because you guys still own it, it. I mean, oh it's... yeah yeah and it's it's awesome music um so i think that's something that will you know oh yeah keep, keep your keep, eyes and ears keep, peeled for we'll keep you posted yeah um that will happen for sure um but it was definitely a, a low point for both of us because we had gone through so much and so that, that, that deal point. just fizzled and oh, fell apart after that because we, they, yeah of course so so after that album and that that you guys decided to step away from that I, that that was kind of a what was that a turning point or was that i mean you guys went your separate ways to to work on other projects what did what did you end up doing next was that was that when you went um and started working with with muhu or was that a so i i went back on tour with cirque du soleil and I was able to work on Alegria. And for oh, me, right. that was a dream come true because Alegria has the most epic music of all the Cirque du Soleil shows. And to be the singer on that show is just like, oh my gosh. When the singer is like it's, the lead character in the show, right? I mean, you're is. on stage a lot. It's like racing at Le Mans in like <laughs> the best car possible. It was like that for yeah. me. And so I was, oh, and touring Europe. So I did that for a bit and, um, I did like my video blog, my vlog on YouTube and it was kind of like Yeah, a, your your video blog got like hundreds of thousands of views. Yeah, and if you want to check was, it out, it's still up there, right? On, it is, on your yep. YouTube channel. Yeah. I did it in English and then I would do it in Spanish. And at first I was doing one daily, which was a crazy amount of work to do in both languages. But what I was doing, I was talking about the process of of um, training for a new show. Um, or not necessarily a new show, but a new show for me. Integrating. Integrating into, yeah. and, and learning the part and all of that. So, um, yeah, it's on YouTube. And uh, then I was um, talking about my experience on tour. Um, after that, I went back to Mexico and I was um, doing some auditioning there and I was getting hired as a model, um, a lot of, like, photography stuff. And on one of the gigs I met... Um, uh, this guy that had his band and his band called uh, is called Muhu and they had already released one album but he was looking for a singer for the second album so he asked if I would um, perform with them they had a gig set up for that following week for open oh, to open for Julieta Venegas and she's like a famous folk singer um, in Mexico and so I had to learn all of their songs um, to perform at this big event and uh <laughs> it was like an hour worth of music and they were really wordy lyrics and i'm performing <laughs> and i didn't know this till after which i'm glad i didn't know until after i think oh my gosh but i'm on stage and i don't necessarily really know the lyrics or 
kind of like bumbling through it. Yes. Yeah. I mean, you got to fake it to make it. <laughs> so I'm doing that. And Write then, that down. I know. And then I realize afterwards that they were projecting the lyrics behind me while I'm singing, which <laughs> totally sucks because everyone else seemed to know the songs except for That's me. It's like a waking nightmare. Yeah. It was, it was rough. It was, had a lot of those. <laughs> so, uh, yeah. Um, I worked with Muhu for a little over a year and a half, maybe two years. We worked on that that next album, the second album. And what was great about that was it was my first experience um, being more involved with the creation of, 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 of an album and the writing process and, um, and the producing and the editing and the mixing and all of that sort of stuff. Um, it's in Spanish, so it's a pop pop album it's called muhu the the band and um we had available on itunes it is yep and spotify and all the other places yep and uh we ended up getting like a number one hit with one of the songs called oi yeah super fun song great video too yeah it was it was really cool and uh so oi started to play on the radio and so we started to do a lot of gigs and you end up doing a lot of gigs that you don't necessarily love because you know most of them are they're not paying and they're also in, you know, little dive bars or big places. Yeah. You never know what you're going to get, right? You're and doing so. doing what you can to get your name out there of and, course. and promote the music. And We yeah. were hustling, yeah. And so one of the gigs was at this big, um, like, nightclub in Mexico City. And uh, I remember everybody. It was really late when we got on stage. This venue was huge and um, people were already having a great time and there had been a DJ before then and then all of a sudden there's live music and then I felt like everybody turned to look at me with like daggers in their eyes and I was trying to do my best and just singing, doing our, our set and I just remember thinking, please, God, don't don't let anybody throw anything at me because i could feel the tension oh, is that rowdy it wasn't rowdy it was like everyone just wanted to dance and even though our music is poppy it's not like um it's different when you're going to a nightclub yeah you know so yeah. so we we felt a little out of place yes and i mean we we did it all and afterwards those are the kind of events that are gigs that you're like Whew, that was rough but but you do it because, you know, you love it. and Yeah, and maybe somebody in the crowd d- did like the music and you're still yeah. still hustling, promoting. That's part of the, the deal. Band. Yeah. yeah, and um, it's an album that's still really fun when I listen to it and I'm, I'm happy that I did it and it was a learning experience. It was tough. You know, I was here in the U.S. and we were performing gigs all over Mexico. And so you so were going, traveling back and forth. Traveling back and forth and a lot of them, like none of them were, you know, paying gigs and you know. Well, so, so how does that work when, when you're a part of this band where it's kind of a, a side project for the, the guy, the, the band leader, mm-hmm. I mean, it was, it was his band. They put out this first album, they yep. got some traction. Um, I'm guessing they made a little bit of money enough to create a second record and, and bring on a new singer who was you. Mm-hmm. And then now you're kind of the cycle, uh, repeats itself. You got to go back to again promoting the new record, getting right. the new, new music out there. Yep. Um, and you start to gain some traction, but but at the same time you're still sacrificing a lot. You know, you're spending a lot of your time and energy going down there to promote the music. Um, right. And and it's you know it was like I said it was good music and and it sounds like the process uh, was educational and, and and worthwhile, but but it was still a grind 
to go through the motions of, of promoting it. Yeah. And uh, almost getting signed with that one too. Yeah. yeah. And so like everything, you pick up the pieces and you keep moving, yeah. you know? So after that I came back and I was doing, um, it was, it was tough to recover from that one too. <laughs> but, um, I was doing some more radio and TV stuff. And then I got to sing on a beautiful score that Gustavo Farias wrote for this, um, French, uh, not French, uh, German and Turkish movie called eight seconds, eight sunny, I guess in Turkish. And, uh, it was my first experience doing something like that. I had done, um, something called Estrellas del Bicentenario for Televisa with, um, Gustavo. And that was vocally very similar in that I was finally able to use my experience with Cirque du Soleil, which is kind of like this ethereal world type of sound, like sound and singing. And I incorporated that with my experience in jazz. And, and, and that and first classical. project with Gustavo, the mm -hmm. Estrellas, say it again. Estrellas del Bicentenario. Right. What she said. <laughs> that was a promotion for Mexico. Yes. So Televisa um, is a big gosh, they kind of media mogul, they, they own it all. Um, in Mexico, they produce this gorgeous um, set of videos and songs for um, Mexico's Bicentennial. And so if you look it up, um, it's it's really beautiful. And I, I was able to sing on the, the songs for three, three of the states. Uh, I did Yucatan, Chiapas, and So like, a, like tourism videos promoting. Yes, they are so beautiful. Yeah, oh they're, they're great. And you, you were singing in Mayan, right? Mm -hmm. Mayan and different Mayan dialects, or in one of them was Tzotzil. So it's like a different dialect, all corresponding to the states where the video was meant to promote. Um, so that really helped me in the experience to sing on the score because it was very similar. I was singing in a different language and, um, but that for me was, it got me hooked and I am hungry to do more of that sort of stuff. Like I want to do sing on, I want to sing on scores and be able to use my experience in singing different styles of music and genres and put it all together. And it's, it's even better because it's like, it's just my voice that matters it's nothing else it's not about the performance or what i'm wearing or what i look like yeah. you know it's just very voice. pure kind of performance and uh, yes and so you, you if you give. know anybody that's <laughs> <laughs> needing a singer for their next score call me hit me up <laughs> yeah we've got a baby to feed people come on let me score your movies and and so that you also get to give input on i mean the the actual music as well, because Gustavo is now writing the music and, and brought you in to sing on all these songs. But is it kind of free form? You're, you're making up melodies or you know, I mean, how, how with, does that work? Working with Gustavo is like we speak an unspoken language. We look at each other and we know what we're thinking. And he has this trust in me and, and I, of course, in him. And we're able to we do things together. And sometimes he has this just gorgeous backdrop music and he's like, go crazy yeah do it do what awesome. you want and so i'm given you know this poem in a mayan dialect and i just close my eyes and i sing and so in in that way we we i think we we work well okay so so you're scoring movies with gustavo and this is around the same time that, that you and i had gotten engaged right yes yes and right around that time i got a call from somebody saying hey this big voice competition again i'm not going to mention the name it's the other one not the first one i mentioned 
um, <laughs> from Mexico um, is interested in having you perform. And I was like, but I didn't audition. I don't understand. And this person said, okay, but they're going to, the producers are going to fly out to LA, um, just prepare a song. And so I show, showed up not knowing what to expect, thinking it was going to be similar to the first competition where there's going to be hundreds of thousands of people. And it was just me. And so they set up, you know, the backdrop, they set everything up and asked me to sing. And um, I sang and then they said, okay, we'll be in contact. And I, I ended up getting a contract for them and they said, okay, you're going to be on the show. Here's your plane ticket. This is the contract. The contract was one of the scarier contracts I've received. Um, <laughs> basically, they owned everything I had done before, obviously after being on this competition, but before. So everything oh, I had wow, done, I yeah. mean, the album that my, my parents had paid for when I was 12, like they would have owned um, everything. And so Ugh. it's it stuck out as like a huge red flag. And um, yeah. so we, and, and they were trying to rush you into making this decision, right? Yes. I mean, they sent me my plane ticket and they said, okay, you know, you have to be here Friday. And oh, and like, by the way, here's the car. From what I remember, did they even send you the contract? They were trying to like get you down there without even no, showing you the contract or something. They sent it okay. to me, but oh, I wasn't I, ready to sign it because of, you know, those oh, things that were big deal. You have to have a lawyer look at it. I mean, it's like yeah, any, which we did, and he right. was like, "Don't, don't you dare sign that." <laughs> um, <laughs> so they sent me that plane ticket, thinking you know they're going to put pressure. And I said, "Look, I can't be there Friday. I, I haven't signed the contract." And the woman says, "Don't worry about it. Just fly down here. You can sign it down here. We'll figure it out." And that for me was like, no, like I didn't want to be in this really uncomfortable situation where I felt pressured to sign something yeah. um and they had told me what song i was gonna sing and then they they pick it and i thought like you get to pick your own song on these shows apparently yeah. not well at least this one and so um all of these things were completely new to me and it was it came as a shock and the conditions were really really rough i was going to be left without a telephone without a computer without an ipod you know like and meanwhile has... we're in the like in the middle of planning our wedding yes and so i told them that and they said um well we'll we'll give you an hour of supervised computer time a day and so it was like oh my gosh i can't do this <laughs> yeah so again it was it was tough it's tough to make these decisions because you can kind of see you know you see the shiny light and you're like Ooh, oh yeah this is it this is close. it yes yeah. but then i don't know at least experience maybe has taught me to kind of step back and try to judge things a little bit yeah a little bit more and, objectively and yeah yeah, yeah. yeah you, you want to believe that it, it's going to go well but uh right be realistic and yeah. and uh so but that that you know, timing and the pressure and, and just things being not what you expected or, or, um, or, or what, uh, what they seemed like they, they should have been. I mean, that, that was a, uh, I remember that, that was a really tough decision you had to make to it, whether it to, whether to go, go down there and do that or not. Yeah. And ultimately we decided to pass on that one. Yeah. Any regrets? No, no, none at all. Not at all. Um, that's just interesting. You know, yeah. Sometimes you wonder like, huh, what would have happened? Yeah. What would life be like? Had right. We, yeah. But now we have Sebastian. So yeah. we have Sebastian. Oh, and then right after having Sebastian, four weeks after, I went back to work for Cirque du Soleil on their resident show in Mexico, in Cancun, a show called yeah. Hoya. Did you hear that, everybody? Four weeks after she gave birth. <laughs> I was in a harness flying in the back air. Back in a harness <laughs> flying over the audience. 
prepping for uh i mean it took you what like a week to integrate into that show to learn the music and and uh and get uh, back to work like two weeks or something like that yeah, yeah. that was unbelievable um i was like a zombie i think sleeplessness and <laughs> becoming a new mom is is a big change but then but so so sir just to tell that story really quickly so Cirque called Oh, right. While you were I pregnant. I was pregnant. And I was like, uh, and they were like, do you know I'm pregnant? And then he was like, But no. it, was like, it was like a six-month notice, right? It was like, yes. hey, we're going to need yeah. you for a few months if you're interested in this kind of short-term deal. Right. And it's not happening now. And you... I can't remember the timing. Did, the, the date you had to that push they it off me? a little bit? Yes, a month. Because they wanted me, I think, in February. They wanted you and to I start like, in February. Uh, I was like, did, my due date's like end of February and so he he managed to push it back and I'm still so grateful to this man Joel was like oh my goodness like I never expected to have that um happen especially like you have these fears of becoming a new mom and and I always wanted to be ready and and prepared for work and and this was changing all of that and he was so understanding and he's a father and so I think you know, I'm just so grateful that he gave me that yeah. opportunity. And so four weeks after, we were all whole family heading yep. down to Shipped Mexico. down to Mexico for like Couple two months. and a half months, almost three months. Yeah. yeah. And so that was cool. I remember really I was commuting cool. commuting to racetracks um, for, for work and for races through the Cancun airport for a couple of months. That was yeah. pretty interesting. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, so, and, and a big, big shout out and thanks to your family and, and your mom for mm-hmm. for coming down and, and helping. Uh, we wouldn't with, have been able to do it without with Sebastian. Help, oh yeah, during, yeah, during that time, that was, that was wild. Yeah, for sure. You want to talk about the, the recent stuff you've been doing, or what you've got coming up next, or do you want to leave yeah. leave the people in suspense? Or uh, no, I think um, the last two years, two and a half years or so have been kind of a shift for me. It's been maybe an internal battle to try to find a balance between being a present mom and also being independent and and still having my career and my goals and aspirations. And it's, it is a challenge, um, but I'm trying to, trying to figure it out. And yeah. I think La La Lu was kind of the first step towards that regaining my independence a little bit so la la lu was um a an ep that we did um when sebastian was my gosh we started it when he was maybe four months old so he was pretty young and the reason i started it was because i was singing these lullabies to him and he really liked it and he'd be in the car just crying and i would start to sing and it was like magic like it would just soothe him so we joked about like, ha ha ha, we should have this on recording, like <laughs> in case I'm not around, you know? And so we're like, wait a minute, why not? And so it just kind of grew into this project that I'm actually really proud of. It's a great, really proud of. it's a great album. It's on iTunes. Check it out. Buy it a bunch of times. we got a baby to feed. <laughs> so that one's under Denise Stephanie. Yes. It's called La La, La Lu. La La Lu. Yeah, and it's, it's and we still put it on for him at night he when he goes to sleep. He freaks out if he doesn't hear it. La la lu. He freaks out. Yeah. He cries if yeah. he doesn't mommy, hear it. Mommy, mommy, la la, la, la lu. lu. Yeah, he loves it. Yeah. It's awesome because it plays on Pandora, and every time it plays, we get paid. Yeah, <laughs> uh, like cents on the dollar, but that's all good. It helps. It helps. So, so the, I mean, the, the other thing you've been doing too, 
is voiceover stuff. Yes, I do a lot of too. voiceover stuff. A lot of commercial work. You were also on, yeah, well, you were on TV a couple of times doing oh, kind of spokesmodel stuff. Oh, and, yeah, I have. I yeah. have this like mental block. Amnesia. On, on. <laughs> I did that? Oh, yeah, I forgot about that. Yeah. That's cool. That's cool. That's cool. Uh, yeah, I've done some some Spanish, mainly Spanish stuff. Um, and that kind of stemmed from the Sevenissima experience? or you, I think so, yeah. yes, because I, I really had a, an opportunity to <laughs> sell a product, I guess, where just they taught me how to, how to speak to the camera and learn this copy and be able to deliver it well. And it served, you know, its purpose. And I've been able to do some other stuff and... Was around that was around the same time you did the the be the match, um, yeah. What what was the name of that event? Uh, La Gota de la Vida. Yeah, that was. Uh, so talk talk about that. That was a pretty cool experience. That's like the We Are the World of Mexico, or uh, kind of not necessarily Mexico because we had a lot of artists from like Spanish speaking countries. I mean, oh, okay. David Bisbal from Spain and Placido Domingo as Latin well American. from Spain and Cuba, Gloria yeah. Stefan and Enrique Iglesias from Spain as well. Yeah. So we had a lot of artists, just Spanish speaking artists. And it was a, we are the world <clears throat> type of song. And the purpose of this was to try to get the Hispanic community to try to, to register for bone marrow, um, for the bone marrow registry. Because there are, I mean, there's a huge need for, for people to register. And when you have sickle cell disease or um, leukemia or um, anemia, there's a lot of, of different diseases that can be cured through bone marrow or stem cell um, transplants. And yeah. so it's it was something I was pretty new to. Of course, I had always heard of bone marrow transplants, and but I had never signed up and I didn't really know what it cured or anything like that. Right, so, and, so, and so getting invited to do this event that exposed you to what this organization was all about and yes, what they did. It was City of Hope, La Gota de la Vida, um, and Be the Match, which is the registry, um, was part of it. And so as soon as I got a chance to sing on the song, I went and registered. My mom registered. My whole family registered. And most people, when they register, that's it. Like, they don't ever get called. And, yeah. but that's, that's the beauty of it. You know, that your, your information is out there and if yeah. somebody needs it, it, it will be found. And registering, I mean, you just literally it's took it like a cheek it, swab yeah. and sent it off to <laughs> the, your DNA they have that's it on it. file. And, mm-hmm. and if somebody who's sick and needs a transplant, they can match, if they match your DNA, yeah. you know, then you have the opportunity to, to donate mm-hmm. and you out of all the people who don't get matched, you I got matched. you got matched. Yeah, I got matched, and not long after. This is like right, right around the time we were getting married. Actually, um, right? I got matched before. Right, but um, so once you do get matched, then they have to do further testing to really see if you are the perfect match for this person because it has to be pretty dang close, if not perfect, because otherwise, that's going to be rejected by the the recipient's body. Like anything, like any organ or whatever. So from what I understand, that's, I don't, sorry, I'm going to interrupt, but that's kind yeah. of the, the, the time that most of these donations happen is when it, when it is kind of the end of the road and there, yeah. there aren't many options left. Yeah, it's really, it's, it's tough. So I went on with my life for about another year or two after that. 
and then not completely forgotten about it, but put it, you know, way back. Yeah. So then that you'd gotten matched then well before we got married. Yes. Yeah. So, um, we got married and then on the plane home from our wedding, I I turn on my phone and start getting my emails and I get email and a ton of voicemails and a ton of missed calls. And I was like, Oh gosh, what happened? What happened? I hear my voicemail and it was like, hi Denise, you have been matched. Um, you remember that person you were matched to? Uh, okay. So it's time. Are you interested in, in doing this? And it was like, we need to know right away. And so that's what happened. Um, hmm. I decided I was going to do it and they told me that it wasn't going to be a bone marrow transplant, but it was a stem cell transplant, which is the easier of the two. This one doesn't require surgery. It's just kind of like, it almost looks like a blood transfusion. One needle goes in one arm and out, you know, through the other. So, and through a machine. So it's like kind of like a dialysis machine. Exactly. Yeah. It takes out the stem cells of your blood. And it's, for me, it was running for about eight hours. Oh, wow. And, um, so to prepare for that donation, what they first do is obviously they do a bunch of tests, make sure everything is good, you're healthy, all that stuff. And which was great because I got a chance at free physical, you know, hey, I'm healthy. Yeah. <laughs> but, um, at the same time, they told me that they were going to give me these like a growth hormone that what it does is it builds the marrow in your, your bones. So it's like the stem cells and the stem yeah. cells, but that's basically the same thing. It's the white blood cells. Um, uh-huh. And so they they build it to like an insane amount. And um, so I think it was for about a week I was getting every day um, this filigastrum injection. And I felt fine the first couple of days. And then as the week progressed, I was like kind of achy like, like a flu. And then towards the end of it, it was like, Oh my God, I can barely walk. <laughs> it was such a strange feeling because I could feel where, and they, they tell you, like, you're going to start to feel kind of achy around your hips, your femur, all these places that store most of your marrow, mm. um, start to get really achy and sore. <laughs> and that didn't prepare me for like, oh gosh, I can't walk. Yeah. Yeah. That last day I was like, please take it out of me. feel like your bones are like <laughs> balloons that are blowing up inside of you kind of thing. Yeah. It's really crazy. Um, huh. yeah. I mean, it wasn't like the super most comfortable thing ever, <laughs> <laughs> but was I mean, that, was that effect? Do you think more pronounced because you're shorter or yeah? So what happened was they gave me the smallest dose of the filigastrum that they could give. Um, but it was still, meant for somebody that weighed 30 pounds more than myself. Uh, And so I think it was just more pronounced in in me because I've heard from other people that have donated. They're like, Oh, I felt nothing. And I was like, what? (laughs) I I, I couldn't, I couldn't walk from that last day. day, I remember walking to the clinic and being like, give me a a wheelchair. I couldn't believe it. It was crazy. And, but after those eight hours of, of the donation, I walked out like nothing. <laughs> it's like, it really like it drained you. You've been deflated. Yeah. Yeah. Um, tired, but nothing. Yeah. Um, I remember sitting there cause I was there with you that day. And I remember yeah. sitting there and then they, they took the, the blood cells or the, yeah, the, stem, the stem cells, cells. which, which just look at the end of an eight hour day of basically spinning the blood cells out of, or the, sorry, the stem cells 
out of your blood mm-hmm. um, and putting them in this container, this bag, it looked kind of like a, a bag of blood. A little bit, yeah, uh, like watered down blood. Looking. Yeah, but I remember there was a person there sitting. He was in, waiting. In the waiting room <laughs> of the clinic with yeah. basically a, an ice chest. I mean, it was an ice chest. It was, yeah. And you, I remember you got up off the the hospital bed after kind of lying down all day and just we were like, you know, watching movies or, you know, hanging out all day because we were just literally waiting for your blood to to spin these cells out. Yeah. And uh, I remember you got up and you wanted to to take a picture with the the stem cells, the, mm-hmm. the bag. And, and they were like, yeah, yeah, but hurry up because like the guy he's is here plan, yeah. and he's going directly to Spain from this hospital to the hospital yeah. where the donation is taking place. And like, he's waiting like, yeah, chop, chop. <laughs> yes. That was crazy. My gosh. Yeah. It was such a cool experience though. And I don't remember what it was. I think the first six months you're not allowed to hear anything. And yeah. you, they ask you, do you want to hear if the, the, the patient is either doing well or not? And I was like, yes, I want to hear, but I can understand not wanting to hear, you know, if things yeah. didn't go well. But I was super, super pleased to hear that, that the patient was doing well. And I've heard now two updates that he's healthy and doing well. And it's just like, oh man. Yeah. It's a pretty incredible thing. I don't know where he is, but I want to give him a big hug. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's crazy. He has uh, not just a little piece of me, I guess. Yeah. It's pr- cool. a pretty incredible thing. Yeah. Well, thank you for bearing your soul and talking about the uh, the highs and maybe more <laughs> than your fair share of lows. Yes. It um, was a lot of lows. On huh? your, uh, in your <laughs> career as a, as a professional singer and all the other bits and pieces that the career of a professional singer entails. Um, I think most people don't have any idea. Um, you know, I, I certainly didn't when I met you and I think it, it's, there's a lot of parallels between what you do and what I do in the, in the racing world, the, the things that we're up against, the, the emotional things that we deal with, um, the, the successes and the, you know, the, the highest of highs and the lowest of lows. And yeah, I think maybe that's why you and I relate so well to each other on, on a lot of different things. Right. Yeah. And I think the determination, like the one track mind, you're like, what I see, you see what I did there. Yeah, see what yeah. I did there. So, uh, yeah. yeah, it's, it really is just keep going, keep going, keep going. Yeah. Awesome. Well, we'll, uh, we'll have to do another update, uh, next year after the, after the first, uh, I don't know, 50 episodes. We'll we'll swing back and uh, check back in on you and see what, what else is going on in the world of uh, of Denise, Stephanie Miller. We'll interview Sebastian. <laughs> we, we will. <laughs> That'll be a shorter interview than this yeah, one. I hope so. <laughs> We're working on his vocabulary. <laughs> All right. Thank you for, uh, for sitting down and chatting. Yeah. And uh, thanks for listening. Wasn't that painful. <laughs> <laughs> Good. walls I built baby they're tumbling down they didn't even put up a fight they didn't even make a sound I found a way to let you in but I never really had a doubt standing in the 
light of your halo I got my angel now It's like I've been awakened Every rule I had you break it It's the risk that I'm taking I ain't never gonna shut you out Everywhere I'm looking now I'm surrounded by your embrace Baby, I can see Shut you out Everywhere I'm looking at 